Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Greetings. I'd like to greet everyone with, in the name of peace. Peace, which is a universal greeting that all the prophets said, from Adam to Muhammad. Abraham, the forefather, he said, peace. Moses, the receiver of the laws, he said, peace. David, the receiver of the Psalms, he said peace. Jesus, the Christ, he said peace. Muhammad, the receiver of the Quran, he said peace. And now we're still looking for that universal peace that the world can't seem to give. I want to welcome all my listeners in the diaspora and at home in the motherland. Um, Happy New Year. And I know there was a lot of celebration and activities that went down over the past two weeks, so... Uh, I'm sure we have uh, had all had our share of uh, celebration, but it's time to get back to business and focus on the serious issues that this country we call believe that we love is facing. Now, you know, I just want to reflect on something before I really get into the meat of my show and, you know, um, discuss you know, some pertinent issue that, as it relates to us in the diaspora and in Belize. You know, as we embark on this new year, you know, I can't help but wonder about our tiny country of Belize. You know, as a nationalist, I'm disgusted by what I'm currently witnessing in that country. Our total system of governance and jurisprudence has become a self-cannibalizing, corrupt cesspool, a virtual den of iniquity. And I'm not saying this, you know, as if though that I'm better than anybody or that I'm self-righteous or righteous indignation. It's not based on that. It's based on the fact that what I'm witnessing, you know, we are led by career-minded, corrupt, unprincipled lawyer politicians and those who are not lawyers as well, you know, that would sell their souls to the devil for a few dollars more. Our nation has become, uh, you know, it's, it has become a nation that's gripped in the vice of nepotism, and cronyism, and this may sound corny and trite, but it's not what. But you know, this may sound corny and trite to many, but really, the, the old saying is not what you know anymore; it's whom you know. You know, and 
This is very, very, very prevalent in Belize. And all the while, as, this, as the institutions that are supposed to ensure the sanctity of the nation is crumbling around us. I mean, in Belize today, we have witnessed the almost unbelievable idiocy of, idiocy of our, our political leadership. In the past, uh, the political leaders, ranging from the village council to the mayor, the ministers, and to the prime ministers himself, were regarded with respect and, in some cases, almost revered. Today, they are viewed with contempt. This negativism doesn't stop there. It extends to all our institutions, from law enforcement to the judiciary to the system itself. None have been spared the wrath of the public contempt. And this is further exacerbated by, you know, by this world of mass media and instant access to the Internet, which daily exposes our society's innate hypocrisy, its contradictions, and the apparent failures of almost every facet of our social and political life. So as a result of this cognitive dissonance that the people are experiencing, it has caused the vast majority of the Belizeans to just tune out. They don't care. It's like, whatever. You know, you're just existing. All they care about is their day-to-day daily survival. And then, of course, you know, you can't say anything without bringing up the main political parties because as they have, they, they have essentially morphed into each other and operate in the shadow of each other. In other words, you know, they, 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 they mirror each other so much you can't, um, you know, this 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 has also led to the more apathy and cynicism of the people, and it has grown more and more as as as, as we go on. And as the difference, as the, you know, and, and as the differences become uh, less obvious, especially when it comes to economic matters, they 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 offer basically the voters very little ideological choices, which again is leading to more this to, to this silent resentment of the masses. And the thing that really, really, really is the most devastating thing of all is that both these political parties, PUP and UDP, have fostered a model of destructive clientele patronage spoil system. You know, this openly blatant machine politics where they curry favor for votes. It's now virtually impossible to differentiate one from the other. And anybody who can tell me that, you know, there's a difference. I have a bridge that I want to sell you right there in Belize, okay, because you cannot tell me what the difference is. Case in point, the Christmas cheer. Uh, I'm going to use it as, this is only one tiny example. Uh, the, the current, the sitting rep got 90000 and opposition rep got 25000 Tell me why the PUP did not give back that $25,000. If they're so disgusted with graft and corruption, why is it that they, on, print, on general principle alone, they should have said, here, you know what, take back this $25,000. We will not rob the public's purse for the sake of benevolence or to pretend like we're so benevolent because we're going to give them a hammer turkey because it's Christmas. Why didn't the PUP, a party that's vying to replace a scandal-plague uh, regime of Mr. Barrow, why is it that they don't put, give back the $25,000? But no, they kept it. Willing accomplices to the corruption that they so say that they despise. And that is the hypocrisy, my fellow Belizeans, that we must address. We cannot just sit idle by and let these people pull the wool over our eyes. You know, because these parties, you know, this model of, you know, clientele, patronage, poll system is destroying this country. It is stifling polit- political thought. It's, it's stifling 
any semblance of us cooperating as a people to get to the Netherlands to a level of sustainable development and and and, and long term development because economic development because we you know we are not looking at how we can come together as a people. What they try to do is divide the the, the us in the diaspora. This you know they don't want a unification between the the Belizean diaspora and the, and the Belizeans at home because they're awfully scared. Um, that, in fact, they're scared that, you know, if we get together and we, you know, we cooperate, that we're going to ex- expose to the world the corruption that's crippling that country and, and, and uh, devastating its, its, its development. And, you know, my fellow Belizeans and all the listeners out there, I have to tell you that the importance of citizen participation in a democracy cannot be underscored. And, you know, democracy is not just, in, is not just voting for Twiddle D or Twiddle Dumb every five years, you know, because both of these political parties have, ex- have seemingly conspired to exclude the masses from the political process. So other than voting for them in pe- periodic elections every five, years, every five years, both parties are intent on perpetuating the status quo. Yes, they might nibble around the periphery with an pr- amendment here or, you know, or some sort, or some sort of um, change there, but... At the end of the day, the status quo remains intact because that is how they want it, my friends. They want it so that they can benefit from it. A few elite at the top. And if they knew anything about it, if they knew anything about revolutions or about why people get disgruntled, unequal societies cannot, not, cannot sustain uh, economic growth because there's all, there's, there will always be that social tension there, right at the surface. So this is something that they should be very, very concerned about. And, and it's, even more, it's even more devastating because in a country where elected representatives speak and vote for their constituents with sometimes disastrous results, this approach is democracy without the genuine participation of the people. And another thing that's very, very, that's very, very debilitating to our development is these, is these uh, constituencies that, you know, that, that we have you know, Dr. Gale, uh, in his study, Dr. Gale, in his study, called these consistent, you know, where, 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 where you have entrenched political leadership, you know, where you have, um, uh, where you have leadership that, um, um, that, are, that is entrenched, that is, that you cannot break that cycle. For example, he identified like three, but I'm sure there are more. He, he identified Fort George, Mesopotamia, <clears throat> and Queen Square as, as these garrison constituencies where, where they're, they're like, there's political overlords or warlords who control poverty, who control you know, the level of political discourse and keep those keep people on their knees so they can control them. And if you look in Belize City, I'm talking about Belize City proper. You know, we're talking about, there's more. I'm sure a college division... Albert Division, when that gentleman Espat was there, uh, Mr. High's Division over there at uh, Lake Independence. So there were certain garrison constituencies that, and and what in these in these uh, you know in these constituencies, uh, what makes them what set them apart is the quality of the life of the for the residents. You know, that's what set them apart is that basically at the bottom of the barrel. Even though Mr. Barrow had his much publicized pro-poor policies that was earmarked for reduction 
of poverty, at least at the macro level in these garrison constituencies, the quality of life has not improved significantly. And any sustained improvement will be extremely difficult because of their quality of political and social capital. In other words, because they're basically disenfranchised from the outside looking good, looking from the outside looking looking in, there is no way that you can that you know you that that we can break that cycle with just cosmetic with just cosmetic um, doings. It's going to take more. I mean, and so you know. In addition, there has been no sustained political will to dismantle these garrison constituencies, and everyday life is deeply entrenched in crime, violence, and of course, political clientele patronage. That is, covering favor for boats or like the Christmas tree, give them a hammer turkey, or when they need anything, they go line up at the field areas, uh, area rep office, and you know, beg on their knees and hands, totally robbing these people of their identity, totally robbing them of their. Of, of their dignity and self-respect. How is that developing your country if you as a political leader will encourage that so that you can stay in power? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I mean, you know, you cannot tell me that you're a man of the people or for the people when you encourage that in Queen Square, in Mesopotamia, in Fort George, in Collet, in every, every one of those constituencies that I, that I name. You take a drive by, walk by, run by, and you'll see what I'm telling you. It's shameful and it's wrong. And as a and Belizeans living abroad, us in the diaspora, we have we continue to contribute to the country since 2006, over half a billion dollars. But it's not just about money alone, because that's that's one thing. It's about us participating to make a difference and and bring to our brothers and sisters. We must have a unification because that country is in serious serious need. It's going it's, it's destroying itself from within. It's in need of its brothers and sisters. In the diaspora, all of us need to be a part of it. Okay, that's the only way we're going to try to break the cycle that we see in that country. So, again, unless there there are deliberate and well-targeted policies to dismantle these constituencies and break that stronghold that the political and criminal elements have on these residents, they will never experience any sustained improvement of their quality of life. Never. Go look in Queen Square. Go look in Mesopotamia. Go look at Fort George. Go look at Collet. These people have been there. These are career-minded politicians that have run these constituencies forever. And ask the people about the quality of life. They're struggling, scratching a living on the edge of poverty almost. It's, it's, it's shameful, and I cannot understand how one Belizean who say that they're nationalists, who say they care about a country, will allow that to occur. That's a travesty. And you know, there's no way that we can in that in that kind of in that kind of light. Again, my friends, I don't you know I don't want to um I you know get into any something like I'm preaching to the choir or something I'm condemning anything, but I am only trying to explain to my listeners and to all my Belizean people the level of discrepancy that we have in that country. And, and you know, and, 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 and this is not a matter of PUP or UDP, because I'm not blaming, apportioning blame or pointing fingers. All I'm suggesting is that we need to, you know, we need to seriously look at how, you know, our jurisprudences in that country, our governance and jurisprudences in that country. Um, today, joining me shortly will be uh, Miss. Audrey Matura Shepherd. Now, 
this lady is no stranger to um to to the political discourse. She is an activist and a true soldier in the sense of looking out for the interests of the underprivileged and fighting to expose this corrupt, undemocratic culture that we have prevalent in our country called Belize. Um, and the thing about it is, about what, makes, what set Audrey apart is that she was involved in, you know, in the political process. So you know that saying that says that when fish come from bottom of water and tell you, you know the story. You know, so I'll tell you about alligator, you know, you know, you know the story. Um, that's what is unique about this in, in a woman. She was the former head of Oceana, um, the environmentalist group, who was battling the oil companies for, against offshore drilling. And she's recently been elected as a president, or appointed as a president of the uh, Christian Workers' Union. So um, I, uh, she has, she's not a wrong yet. We're still trying to get her you know, um, you know, work out the technical difficulties because she's in Belize, bear in mind. And, um, and you know, so we're still trying to um, see how we can get her connected because um, it's, um, uh, you know, technical difficulties, technical difficulties sometimes inhibit the process. But for those people who are on Skype, uh, on, I'm sorry, on Skype, uh, I think the pin to access this, this radio show, if you are not, if, you, if, you, if you're in a situation where you don't have internet access you know, and you want it to be free, I think it's BTRListener029. Again, that's BTRListener029. That's the Skype pin. I know some people were asking me about the Skype ping, so if you are if you're on and you want to um, know the Skype ping, it's BTR listener 029. Um, that's the Skype ping. Or if and if you again if you don't have access to the to the internet, you can also call 714-242-6119. So you can li- you can listen you can participate by listening using that number. I know sometimes people in Belize have Magic Jack or other um, things that they use. So you can also call 714-242-6119. And, of course, you could just, you know, you could just upstream from your computer. You know, the, the website is all over the, you know, it's all over the blogs, and you can participate that way also. So, um, but coming back to, until we join, until Miss, uh, I'm until until we join Miss Shepherd, who has a huge following because of her integrity and the position that she takes on many social issues as it relates to Belize and her fight for social justice for the have-nots. You know, until she join us, until we can, um, you know, until we get her connected, um, I will uh, continue to, um, you know, engage my listeners. You know, and let's let's talk about the Penner issue. And again, when I'm discussing these things. Do not try to pigeonhole me into UDP or UDP. I am discussing this as a nationalist because these are issues that transcend party and politics, and it has to do with the national economic security of that country. Let's be clear about that. It's not partisan. I don't have no bone to pick. I have no friends in high places. Therefore, I can speak the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Let's be clear on that. I'm not beholden to no one or anyone. I have no political allegiances. So when I discuss an issue, do not try to pigeonhole me. Let's be clear about that. No, the Penner issue, 
It's a travesty. Here's a man, elected by the, by, by the people of Belize, giving the public trust and say, here, we don't care if you have a Canadian heritage or you're a dual citizen or you, you have some sort of heritage with a foreign country. Talk about questionable allegiance, but yet it's still a question mine. But they give this guy the key to the, to the Rolls Royce and say, here, Mr. Penner, represent us in, 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 in the Cayo area. What does he do? He turn around and sell passport to a man in jail. No, no, no. Let's process that for a second, my friends. He, he, he sold a uh, passport to a man in jail. Now, you, you might say to yourself, well, gee, in any other country, <laughs> you know, um, um, just, you know, at least in, in any other country that truly values social justice, an individual such as this would be, at the very least, be indicted for violating the public trust. At the very least, you'll be charged with something. Not in Belize, my friends. Not in Belize. In fact, he's celebrated his, the, rabid, the, the rabid partisan hacks who holds him up as a symbol of integrity and saying, oh, we've been very unfair because, you know, oh, gee, how dare you attack him when the other party does the same thing. And that's another thing when I say that these parties operate in the shadows, in the, in, in the shadows of each other and they mirror each other because that's what they do. They hold themselves to the lowest common denominator. They don't try to elevate themselves and say, you know what, um, I will uphold the highest moral and ethical principles and standards for governance. They, 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 they operate in the gutter. They operate in the, in the bottom of the barrel. You know, this issue, like I said, should transcend party allegiance. Everyone should be, there should be, where's the moral outrage? Everyone should be upset. I don't care what your party allegiance is. You should not want any public official that you elect wantonly disgust, disgustingly disgracing your birthright and embarrassing you to the world by selling, you know, by selling, by allegedly selling a passport to a criminal in jail. Come on. How is that right? What is right about that? And I don't do it because, oh, it's a UDP pube thing. It's a national economic security issue as far as I'm concerned. Instead, no, we, you know, we're just going to brush it under the, under the, under the rug and let, let it drop, let it slide by. You know, because the election of Bonjus Commission announcement that the recall effort failed is very telling because for one thing you know they you know they they have they've come out and said okay you know what this is not something that we want to investigate any further because uh you know they didn't make the threshold that that they needed in, in the number of signatures i think they fell short well like, like some 75 signatures and you know some of them were just you know were discarded so it's it's, it's i'm not even going to get into that but the point i'm making is that you know, the, the issue of the Penner thing is just, it's just that. It's just an issue now. Nobody cares. Nobody want to investigate. Nobody want to do anything about it because that's the way we do things in Belize. Hey, how dare you? That, that's the new normal. Or the, no, actually, it's not the new normal. That's the consistent normal. You know, and then they look at me or anyone who, a right-minded Belizean who look at it and says, they look at you like, and this is the part that really, really gets me. How dare you insult my, my intelligence when, by questioning me by saying, well, Hubert Pipersburg, how dare you? Or, you know, you must be partisan while you're talking about this. No. As a right-minded nationalist, I am concerned when I see that kind of rubbish and crap trying to be pushed down our throat. Mr. Penner, at the very least, should be in jail. Or at the very least, should be charged with something. But, which makes me come to, the, which makes me come to a point that, um, that, um, that I always, people always like to ask me. Um, uh, 
which comes to the point that I always like to suggest to people is, why do we allow this to occur? Why is it that we let our beliefs, you know, come to the point where we have a few elites that leading the mass opinion, a few elites that can, that decide what's best for us, that that decide what, you know what trying to trying to push their values on us, what they believe is right and wrong, and we just sit back and just allow this to occur. And you know the People's United Party, which was the one that was the principal opposition that was um, trying to fight this, you know, push for the uh, the Penner uh, recall. You know, they. I mean, well, after you know, you, you one would think that they would be, you know, would not take this line and continue to fight. But um, so far, I haven't heard anything from them. And again, it's not all on them because the people should be upset about this. The people should be should should should, should come to the and say, you know what, this is, we're not going to take this anymore. You know, we are not going to tolerate this kind of blatant, corrupt behavior from our public, for publicly elected officials. You know, so the people, you are not absolved from this. So don't think that I'm going to let cut you any slack or let you off the hook. Because you continue to vote for these people. And, that's, and they look at you, and that's what someone says, hey, you vote for them. So how dare you now sit back and say, you know, um, you, it, the truth is clear from falsehood. You see, the, look at the revisionist history. These people have a history of not caring about your concerns. In fact, they put your concerns last. We're still on, on election time coming up now. You know, we, we're going to sit back and say, oh, this party's going to, brother, you're going to have to do more to convince me. The, the Christmas cheer program where you did not give back the $25,000 and you are going to come to me and tell me that you're going to be different from what you're criticizing. And I look at you and I say, ha, I laugh in your face. How dare you insult my intelligence? You had an opportunity to, give, to, to stand on principle to give back monies from the public purse, $25,000, but you kept it. So what does that tell me? What am I supposed to deduce from that? What am I supposed to, uh, to um, conclude about any PUP representative who come to me and say that they, that they care about uh, corruption? Am I supposed to say, oh, yes, I believe you, or should, or should I be very, very, very skeptical about them? No, if they would publicly tomorrow, next week, whenever, give back the $25,000, yes, I can understand. I say, okay, PUP, you, 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 you want something there. But as long as you have kept that 25000 and continue to justify the reason for keeping it, Shame on you. Okay? Shame on you. Now, I just want to tell my listeners that um, um, we're having, I don't know what the issue is, but we seem to be having some serious problems connecting to Ms. Audrey Matura. And um, um, I'm hoping that we can get, we're trying to get her by Skype. We're trying to get her with the magic chat. But for whatever reason, the connectivity is, uh, um, apparently Skype in Belize is a problem, you know. Um, that seems to be the issue that you know that we can't get uh, in contact with her. But I was thinking also the magic check yeah, that she could uh, um, connect doing that. So that's kind of very very sad. But okay, well you know what? Here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. We're not. We're not. Um, uh, I think her she needs a faster net connection. Her streaming might be low, and I think that's probably why we're having a hard time connecting with her because you know um, whatever her internet connection is. Which is a shame because um, I was really, really looking forward to discussing the myriad of issues that we that we had with you know with, with you know that we have in our country. But here's what we can we can do. Um, the number is seven one four two four two six one one nine. 
Um, I will entertain callers. I'll let you know in a minute when you know when you can call in. But in the interim, until we can get Miss Matura, because um, we were gonna, we, we were gonna have a call-in segment for half an hour anyway uh, towards the end of the show. So until we can get um, Miss Miss Matura Shepherd, you know, connected or trying to work out these problems, we, I'm gonna entertain the listeners. But before we get to that, let me just also say that um that um that you know you know Belize you know our, Belize is a country that we all love you know we all you know, you know there's nobody that that can say that they love Belize more than the other we all love that country P U P U D P and I I know all of you mean mean well you know all of you are well intentioned but sometimes you know the road you know the old saying the road to hell is paved with well intentioned we need leaders we need people we need public servants who are willing to uphold the highest of moral principles when it comes to the governance and jurisprudence. And many people say to me, oh, well, you know, well, Hubert Pipersburg, well, it must, it's not the system, it's the people. Okay. I, and I, I, I said, okay, fine. I, I'm willing to entertain that, that thought because it's a situation where, you know, it's a valid point, but okay, let's examine that closer. Okay, so you say it's a system. Is that the system? Okay, but what if I tell you that since 1981, Belize's legislative, judicial, and executive and political system has remained virtually intact, including the laws. For example, I'll give you an example of the land laws, the most archaic colonial land laws. Do you know that if, some, if they find riches on your land, gold, oil, silver, or whatever, that it belongs to the government and not to you? You have no say in it. That's what. The, that's the issue that the Mayas are dealing with down south, with U.S. capital oil. It's you know that's Mayan land, that's Mayan you know ancestral land that they that they won in they won in a court battle. But even still, the oil company is coming in and reaping the benefits while the Mayas are still impoverished, and poor, and relegated to the side. And I'm just, that's what I'm telling you, my friends. That you know. So for those who, who come to me and talk about the system, I say to you, well, then what are we going to do about that? My my answer was a constitutional uh, conference or convention where we're going to rewrite the whole thing. We're not going to throw the we're going to we're not going to throw the baby with the bathwater. I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's look at what we we can, you know, we get together with the best minds. Even the Lipanales man might you know or Papizos man might have something to contribute. But get together and let's rewrite this damn constitution. That's my solution to address the system. Now, the other thing as far as personal integrity, that's on you. I can't tell you, uh, I can't legislate, you can't, we can't legislate morality, but I can't tell somebody, hey, you've got to act a certain way or you've got to be a certain way or you've got to do a certain thing. That's on you. You need to look in the mirror and decide how you want to uphold yourself with integrity and decency as a public official. That's on you. But I do know that I can influence the system more so than I can, than I can influence a, a, a person. That's what I do know. So, so for those of you who tell me, um, you know, those of you, those of who keep saying, well, it's the system and not the people, then that's my answer to you. Okay. Um, so, I have a Joe who is on the line who um, who have a. Uh, before we get into it, let me just say this: if you're gonna call in, I don't want any long drawn out statement because because we press for time. But you want to ask a question or make a statement? I will entertain it. Okay, so Joe, are you are you there, Joe? 
Can oh. I, Hubert? I, I actually, um, yes, I'm online with Audrey. Oh, okay. And I'm right. here. Okay, great. So go right oh, ahead, God. please. Okay, um, I have to tell you, uh, God is good. I have Miss Matura Shepherd on the line. Oh, I'm so so happy, and um, um, you know, God has been good because I was worried. I said, Oh my God, I, you know, that we're not gonna have this wonderful woman come in and enlighten us some more about the corruption and the and the indecency that's going on in the, in the political process. But without any further ado, let me introduce to you Audrey Matura Shepherd. She's a practicing attorney in Belize City and also an activist. She was a former head of Oceana. She's now the head of um, the Christian Workers Union. And uh, Ms. Matura, how are you doing this morning? Hello. Good morning, everyone. Or maybe in some place. So good day. All right, great. Here's my question to you. Um, what do you think is, you know, our role with, you know, with the diaspora? Because you, you, uh, we go back there and we see that the, uh, um, there's issues where people might be taking advantage of us. And you have a current case that you are that you are looking at. And before I even get before you answer, though, let, let me let me tell people this is not uh, a one-time thing. This is uh, this is an occurring nightmare in Belize for people who who you know who live out here and want to go back to Belize and, and set up roots. So it is not the, we're not picking on anyone or, or, or singling out anybody. This is a continuation of things that's happened that goes way back. So can you please address that for us and tell us what what's what's involved in that, Ms. Matura? Hello, Ms. Matu, are you there? Did I lose her? Oh, okay. Um, okay, uh, it looked like I lost her again. Ay, ay, ay. Um, internet connection is really, really bad in Belize. I don't know. I was able to... I heard her just now, but I don't believe that... Um, we seem to be having some issues with our connectivity with Miss Matura Shepherd. Uh, let you know in interim. Let's you know, no worries, uh, uh, no worries, no worries at all. Um, we will try to work through it and see what we can do to um, uh, to to rectify this. I'm very disappointed, you know, because you know I didn't realize that I. It was breaking up and then the call dropped. Okay, so you you oh okay, so it, it keeps on breaking up and then the calls call drop. Is that what it is? Okay, um, um, let's see if we can work that out then. Uh, my friends, uh, my apologies um, with with the connectivity that we're having in Belize, and um, uh, we're trying to we're trying to fix it. Um, Okay, so um, okay, Miss Matura, I believe um, people can hear you. So, you heard my question, or you want me to repeat it? Hello, can you hear my question, or would you like me to repeat it? Okay, this is uh, a little bit frustrating because it's. You know, I mean, our connectivity seems to be the issue here. And, um, if you're listening, Miss um, uh, uh, Matura, uh, listen through the phone and not the computer because um, 
Uh, that's how that's how we do it. The computer is only there as a, um, a means for people to hear, but it's really done through the phone. So if you if you are if you're on the line, um, I would invite you to um, put the phone, take the phone up, and just you know talk through that because that's how we're gonna um, 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 that's how we're gonna be able to connect. Um, but in the inner room, like I said, you know we're not going to um, uh, you know we're not going to uh, let this be. A situation where you know we can't um, continue with the show, or where we can't um, uh, get get Miss Matura. We we're gonna try to work out these technical problems, and um, hopefully you know we'll be able to do, it and we will get her to come on. In any event, so um, coming back to what I was saying, let's face it. At the end of the day, Belize is run like a banana republic, and it's governed by a bunch of career-minded, unprincipled people. You know, corrupt, very corrupt, openly corrupt, past and present. You know, it has to be, you know, it, you know I mean, it, it's not something that, that's, like I was still explaining to you, when we discuss something, it's not because, oh, we're picking on something, because it's not, it's, if you look at revisionist history and beliefs, you'll know that, what I'm saying. One scandal plague out of our regime after another has, you know, so it's, 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 it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing new. Um, it's nothing new that we. That it's nothing new there. Um, and the thing that the thing about it is that when it comes to 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 our, our government, it's not really a democracy anymore. Let's be let's be let's let's be honest. It's more of a kleptocracy, you know. What do I mean by that? You know, kleptocrats that personally control both the supply of the public funds and the means of determining. They dispersal. They dispersal. That's you know. That's basically what you know. That's how you define that. You know. I mean. You know. And um, there's. It's also highlighted by a government that which has no outside oversight. You know. No outside oversight is possible. You know because they the kleptocrats personally control both the supply of the public funds and the means of determining their their dispersal. And you know. And usually a, a kleptocratic government is manipulated by foreign corporate interests. And functions mostly as a ceremonial government that is you know, accountable to its nation. You know, and, and if you try to tell me that that's not Belize, then I don't know what else. You know, I don't know what else could tell you. You know, I mean, it's operated like a commercial enterprise, the country, for private profit. And the state enables that because they have favored monopolies, in which the profit derived from the private exploitation of public lands, private property, etc. Um, and any debts, here's, here's the tipping point, any debts that is incurred are a public responsibility. Case in point, the super bond. We, I mean, you know, all this went down and the super bond, at the end of the day, who has to pay for it? Even though it, it was re, so, so-called renegotiated, you don't even want to know the, the details of that renegotiation, my friends. It's, it's shameful. You know, our... You know, we have mortgaged the future of our children well into the new millennium. God knows when we'll ever get, a, get, get up from under, the, uh, under that. And not to mention, we have a projected debt of $6 billion. Just imagine a country that has little over 325,000 people, little over 8,867 8, square miles, can carry such a debt. Something is wrong. Painfully obvious that something is wrong. You know what I mean? And then... Then you know, so again, as for the as for the as for you know, as for the treasury, 
These kleptocratic rulers typically treat their country's treasury as, its, as their own personal bank account, spending the funds as they see it, as they see fit. No accountability. Christmas chair program, I always highlight that. And, if, and, and as for the national legislature, that's for sale. I, I, I give to you Lord Ashcroft, bought hook, line, and sinker by people, like, by neocolonies such as Lord Ashcroft. And also, um, as for the government employees, again, the influential one that anyway, the influential government employees, they illegitimately exploit their posts for personal gain by whether, they, whether it's embezzlement, fraud, bribery, etc. You know, and again, the government and the resulting government deficit is paid is repaid by the country's poor working class majorities, people who earn their wages rather than making profits. Again, these people are going to be saddled with the debt of over six billion dollars projected. Something is painful or wrong, my fellow Belizeans, and if you can't see that from where you're standing because of your your rose-colored glasses that you're wearing, whether it's blue or red, then shame on you. Something is wrong. How can you call yourself a nationalist? How can you call yourself uh, uh, somebody who cares about Belize, but then you hide behind a party, blue or red, and argue against anybody who, 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 who criticizes it based on policy, not based on personality, not based on because you hate something. You criticize because you, 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 you're showing them the policy differences, but then you, you're attacked by partisan hacks who call you names. Shame on you. It's a shame on you if you think that you, call, if you can look at me and say, oh, I'm a nationalist, but then still you put party allegiance before the national interest of your country. That's not, that's not a nationalist. That's a sellout. That's a person who does not care about himself because he's part and parcel of the whole rotten barrel, the whole rotten bananas. So, um, again, that's what we're up against in Belize. Then we have a mercantile class that produces little or nothing and import more than 90% of what we consume. And in the interim, our economy remains in a perpetual state of disrepair. Double-digit inflation, double-digit unemployment, rising cost of living, decreasing wages. I mean, and not to mention stagnant wages while they're decreasing. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's a mess. Now, people might say, oh, man, you, you were a Pipersburg, you're a naysayer, you're, you're, you know, you're a pessimist. Well, there are a few bright spots that we can look at. You know, you have an immigrant population who has come to Belize, you know, because it's not a migratory community, who are trying to do well for themselves by working hard and doing what, doing the right thing. And no one is against them. You know, there are people there who, who actually are trying to do the right thing, you know, engaging in commerce, trade industry and commerce, and, and making, scratching a living out based on their own personal integrity and their hard work and pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. So there are good, there are good things going on, but... My friends, the majority of bad things outweigh the good. So we shrouded and clouded in, 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 that, in that mist of corruption and, and, and malaise that seems to, to stagnate, that seems to debilitate, that seems to pull us back down from ever, ever engaging and making our full potential come to light. And, you know, I, I am not saying that, you know, that Belize doesn't have any hope. There's a lot of hope, because if you go on these blogs, there's a lot of intelligent people passing comments. There's a lot of intelligent people um, making good recommendations and, and discussing the issue 
the right way without you know without at home in attacks or without calling each other names there there's lots they're here but we need to get past past just the talk we need to get past just the the uh, you know the name calling or the finger pointing or the blaming or the or the or 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 the apportioning fault we need to get to the point where we say you know what if we're not going to be part of the solution then we are definitely part of the problem and that's the level that we need to get past because um uh i'm going to see if we can do you know can, you know can, we can do uh, calling because uh um you know it's it's i want to invite my public to to participate and um you know and um the number is if you want to call in and have a comment or a question or you want to participate the number is um 714-242-6119 um, cuz we seem to be having some serious issue with the connectivity with Ms. Matura but don't don't worry we will get Ms. Matura if not today we will have, we will, I will bring her on again but it seems to you know I I'm I'm I I I can't control the uh the technology you know I'm a slave to the technology and I I can't there's nothing I could do if her connectivity is slow or if it's not working operating in peak peak condition but um again uh we can you can call 714-242-6119 if you want to discuss anything or if you want to have a question or a comment my name is Hubert Pipersburg and um, I'm the host of the show and I'm operating out of Los Angeles California and um uh I would invite anyone that wants to uh call in to call 714-242-6119 again the issue is that we are having some connectivity issue or technical difficulties and uh, we got Miss Matura for a minute but then I could hear her then uh, I was happy when I heard her then we you know we got disengaged again and and you know so uh, I'm a little bit disappointed but I'm not you know I'm optimistic because I believe that um we can in fact uh you know get her another time if not today you know you know Rome wasn't built in a day I mean she the issues are still there please leave your worry. message for 3477887623 um, the issues are not going to go not going to go away. Um, they're still you know they're still going to be there, and so we you know um, you know we, we you know we we still be able to, we still will be able to discuss these uh, very important issues that we have. But um, again, if anyone wants to call in, please call seven one four two four two six. One one nine, and we can discuss or ask a question. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing to entertain that with anyone who wants to uh, to participate. We have problems, you know, getting our main guests because of connectivity issues in Belize. And um, I want to invite the public to um, to um, to be patient. If we can work out the technical difficulties, we will. If not, then we're just going to have to continue the way you know with 
the way it is. But let me see if let me let me try again and see if we can. Um, uh, um, Miss Matura, are you on the on the line? Hello. Hello. Yes. Are you on the line? Okay, great. Oh, thank God. All right. Um, could you just uh, say yeah. hello to the listeners and just you know, so please go ahead, say hello to the listeners so they can know that you're online. I'm online. Hello. Hi, everyone. Okay, Waiting great. to hear my question again. So that I can All right, respond. great. All right. So, see, God is good. Ms. Matura is, uh, is, uh, is, is online. So, anyway, um, here's a, here was a question. And as I was explaining to the people, that we, the issue that you're highlighting is not because you're picking on anyone or anybody. This is an issue that, that, that's been a recurring problem for Belizeans in the diaspora and other Belizeans for a long time, way, way before this ever occurred. So, the question I have is, what is what what exactly is going on here? What 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 seems to be the, the issue here, Ms. Matura? You see, part of the problem is that from time to time, no matter what political party comes into power, they try and take away people's land. Because while although we say there's a lot of land in these, the truth is, crown land is still limited, very limited. Because when um, foreign investors come, or special interests come, they get large tracts of land. Now, when it comes to the residential areas, the problem we are having is that there's limited actual plot of land you could go and purchase in areas that already have road, water, electricity, everything, all the amenities. Now, there are different projects that have been started, and many attempts were made to try and attract the Belizean Americans to come back home, to invest home, to have a stake home. And the Belama area, that's why it's named Belama, meaning Belizean American joined together. The Belama area was one of those areas that was created from the early 1990s to say that Belizeans wishing to come home will be able to own a piece of land. And that was a way of saying thank you too for over the years that you sacrificed working abroad and you could come back and retire home. You've been sending remittance. We feel that you're at least entitled to know that you can come home and retire. What has happened in this area, Belama phase one, two, three, and now four, is that that focus has changed, and a few Belizean Americans who got their land, if they have not been able to build their house and live here yet, basically they've lost their land. But it's not only them that it's happening to. Average Belizeans who have land anywhere in the country, especially lease, find out either that their lease was canceled without them having knowledge of it, or without them getting any notice of it, although the law requires that you give notice. And then when their land is cancelled and they go and fight it, unfortunately the way the system is structured is that you will, the government or the courts will give preference to an innocent third party, meaning well, that poor person when they got that land never knew that someone else was there. In this present case that I'm doing with Ms. Pickford and um, the Ministry of Natural Resources, the new owners can't claim that because when you moved on the land, you must have seen the piles that were, um, were driven in. As a matter of fact, they tried to build a foundation on the very piles that they found there. They didn't come and pile again. Everybody knows in Belize City you have to pile. But to compound it, you can't even say you didn't even know who was the person who owned it previously because a search at the land department would have shown you. But common sense tells you if it's the mother of the former CEO and it is the son of the former CEO who now is claiming ownership of the land, if it's them, and the CEO was the then CEO at the time, a simple check with your daughter or your mother could have said, can you tell us whose land you're giving us so that we find out who we must compensate for the past? That would have made them known 
that there's someone else. So they're not an innocent third party. You had somehow knowledge of there being another person, and you have an access no one else has to find out who it is. No attempt was made. The government is trying to convince us that they did send out notice that this land would have been forfeited. And let me tell you how erroneous their assertion is. On the 18th of December, I got a letter from the attorney for the government, Ms. Vandine Twist, wherein she says, our records show that on the 1st of November, we sent out notice of cancellation. So I wrote back and I said, well, give us the proof that it was received because our clients didn't receive it. So that's one phase. The second phase is that um, on the 23rd, no, last Thursday, the government sent out a press release under the hand of the Commission of Lands, and it, he contradicts what their attorney said. He's saying that on the 1st of October, we sent out notice to the client, meaning to the customer, Ms. Pickwood, but so not only to the police bank. Was there enough they notice? sent out was, a press release. Okay, but I mean, the, the question it I have is... The okay, so there's a contradiction in the date. Who's telling the truth? Did the notice go the 1st of October, or did the notice go out the 1st of um, the November? But not only that, the Belize Bank writes them a letter and says, look, you all cancel this land. We have an interest in it. You all know for interest. It's registered at land. It's called a charge for a loan. How come you never gave us notice? So here is the government saying either they sent it out the 1st of November as per their attorney, or we can believe the land commissioner that it went out the 1st of October. But the two parties who were to receive it never received it and they can't show us proof that it was received. Now, the importance of giving the notice is that you need to understand that the laws are there to be complied with. If you feel that the person is not meeting the commitments um, on the terms of the lease, you have every right to cancel it, you know, but you can only cancel it or forfeit it after you do two key things under the legislation. And the first one comes under Section 11 of the National Lands Act, and people who are tuning in right now can go search for themselves for... Um, that section, where it tells you plain that, look, the uh, minister can send someone out to inquire and find out um, what is the status of the land and determine if, indeed, it is being complied with. Well, let and me I ask can you read this. you all the... Let me ask you this, though. Let me ask you this. Was that done? I mean, because the question I want my listeners to understand, was there any, any deliberate and, 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 and malicious and and contemplative uh, wrongdoing, impropriety. I mean, was this done in this case? We, we believe there was impropriety because although we've asked them for two things, we asked them to send us the report where it shows that there was someone who went on the land and inquired the status. Let us see what report they gave, one. They can't give us that. And two, we also asked, okay, since you all said you sent out the notice, Send us proof that you sent out the notice. Anybody involved in this kind of work knows that when you send out a letter or a notice, you have to either register it or if you hand deliver it, someone signs that they receive it. So you're saying that my client and the police bank are both lying simultaneously saying that they never got this notice. So let me just share what is the law and what, is being, what part of the law is being broken. So Section 11 of the law says, if at any time it appears to the commissioner, and here they mean the commission of land, that the conditions of any lease has been neglected or broken, or that any land is suffering injury at the hands of the lessee or his agents, it shall be his duty, that is of the commissioner, forfeit to bring the matter to the notice of the minister. And it goes on, it says, if upon that inquiry it is done, it appears to the minister 
that injury has been done or is being done to the land by the lessee or his agent, or that there has been neglect of the breach of conditions, he, meaning the minister, may, after giving the lessee a reasonable opportunity to make representation, cancel the lease. So the notice was important. They had to send out the notice and say, look, we find that these are the violations. We're giving you notice because we're, and we are giving you so much X amount of time because it has to be reasonable opportunity for you to come into our office and present to us why we shouldn't cancel your lease. That, that whole process was canceled. In law, that process is called natural justice. Even God in the Garden of Eden did not come and convict Adam and Eve. He said to them, what have you done? And gave them an opportunity to explain themselves. So you're saying there was a denial of due process? Until they saw your... the evidence contrary. Okay. There is. My client never got the notice. Never did. Never be, got an opportunity what, to present her case. What would be a reasonable time? But it goes a step further. But let me ask you, what would be a reasonable, reasonable time? A week, a month? A reasonable time at law would usually be, could be 7 days, 14 days, or 21 days, depending on the circumstances, the urgency, and the nature of it. So at minimum, she should have gotten a 7-day notice. I would submit. Mm-hmm. But reasonableness is one thing you measure according to the circumstances. In her case, where they know that she is a person living in the diaspora, you could not have expected, and this is information they know, that you would send her seven days' notice and she'd be in a flight by then. So you'd give reasonable time. Plus, she would have then been able to retain an attorney to go represent her interests. But it doesn't end there. It says that every lease of national land, Section 12 of the National Land Act says that every lease of national land has to be approved by the minister and should be deemed to include the following terms, and they give all the terms. However, it says the the minister may cancel your lease for non-payment of rent, any disposition or transfer or subletting that wasn't given with written permission, or non-observance or non-compliance with any of the conditions contained in the lease. And in those instances, it shall, in every instance, authorize the minister by notice in the Gazette to declare the lease forfeited. So the lease is not forfeited until the minister gazettes it and declares it forfeited. If there is never that publication, it is not forfeited. In this case, again, I have with me the, the letter from the um, Ministry of Lands, signed by their attorney, and at the second page... How much time um, did they, before that you got that letter, was it the week, a month, I mean, was it seven days that you contained, or how long I got it. That? No, I got it the, the, until the 18th of December, I got this letter in and the And when was it dated? And when was and it dated? And in this letter, it was dated the 18th of December. They sent it um, by email oh, because okay. I nice. moved quickly right. to ask them to, um, to deal with it. And what they say, they said in it, look, we concede that a notice of forfeiture was never done. That's the exact words from the um, attorney for the Ministry of Natural Resources. So that is a concession that you have not complied with the law. Now you have to understand why is it important, why does the law put in place these systems and procedures. They put it in place to protect the interests of the small man. My client is the small man who goes to the government, which is the big man, and says, look, I want a piece of land and they contract on the terms. But even if you, the government, feel that the person is not complying with the terms, you can't just go in and say you're guilty. You can't. You have to follow a process, give them due process, fair opportunity to present themselves, natural justice. 
you have to comply with every letter of the law. So for them to have completed that, they had to make sure that my client got the notice, make sure that if she failed to show up for her own meeting, that they could prove that she got notice. And then even if they decide to cancel it, they had to gazette it. Now, after you gazette a forfeiture, it becomes complete. Then you can issue the land to someone else. Now, by their own press release, they're saying that they issued this land long before all of that could happen. That is an outright injustice. How can you issue a land to someone when you know to your heart that there is not a complete forfeiture? And sadly, Ms. Maud Williams is telling the media that she has a title, well, I'm saying I want to see a copy of that. But if she has a title, that has to be a fraud and illegally obtained because you have to comply with the, the every provision, the, pre, the, the, the step-by-step provision of the law before you can say I'm going to issue this to someone else. And they can't prove that to us. So okay. it is unfortunate that that is what has happened. And we had to go to court. We, we had to move the court and say, look, give them an injunction because what they were hoping to do you see, if they can prove that they have development on the land, they can quickly apply for title and then own the land. When my clients went to investigate about payments on the land, they find out that the government is offering Ms. Maud Williams and Mr. Castillo the land for $800. Let me tell you, that is prime land. Who goes hmm. to buy a piece of land in Belize City in the Belama area for $800? Yeah. I'm telling you, it's anything yeah. from 15000 to $20,000. I was told, and I was told by one... I was told that, you know, I remember uh, about a couple of years back, uh, like 30,000 U.S. <laughs> Basically, that was uh, something that was quote, quoted to me, so I, I understand what you're saying. But, let me, okay, here's the thing. I mean, I don't want to impugn anyone's character or, 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 or um, you know, or, or talk against anyone, because that's not, that's not why I'm doing this show. I'm just trying to get to the, to the bottom of why is it that, the, you know, that as, you know, if bona fide Belizeans who live abroad, in the diaspora, decide that they want to go back to Belize and they want to set up roots, retire, or whatever it is that they want to do. And we have these kind of things occurring. And, and you know, I mean, you said the lady drives pile on the land, right? So that means if you drove pile yes. on the land, that, that, should, that should be like, that's like a, isn't that something that's permanent? I mean, should that come to something that she has started construction on it then? I mean, it is if permanent. They would have known she started, mm-hmm. but yet they ignore that. You ah, see, so the land department had to send an inspector on the land, you know, before you cancel anything. That inspector would have had to report what he or she saw. We're asking the land department, give us a copy of that report. Show us what was reported. Because we have the evidence, we have the receipts, we have the proof. We have the contractor who's willing to testify what he did on that land. So how will you just take it away? But what you need to understand, the bigger picture, so this is an example we're using. The okay. bigger picture of people in the diaspora is that this happens to a lot of them, you know. By the time they come back, they don't, they're frantic. They don't even know what to do. They don't go get an attorney, many of them. Lands promise them that they will give them back a new land. Those people, poor people are not here in the country to follow up every day. Sometimes they leave someone in charge. They're sending money for someone to help them, and they're ripped off in addition. I swear, if you do a poll of how many people abroad have been ripped off with some land issue in Belize. How many Belizeans in the diaspora? You'd be surprised at the results. You'd mm-hmm. be surprised how many of them are ripped off. So it's as the, there's this attitude as though if you are a Belizean American living abroad, oh, you're a lot of money and everybody can rip you off. Many people don't know how hard those people work out there. They don't know they work two, three jobs. And yes, you're trying to have a decent home in Belize and you build something nice, but the truth they're targeted. 
and the governments know that they don't have any voting power. So it's not as though you could come and threaten and say, oh, well, I'm in your constituency, and if you, my area representative, don't, don't look after my interests, I won't vote for you. They don't have any voting power. So this issue, the lands and whatever benefit you would have in Belize, there is none. Everybody wants the remittance of the diaspora. They want everybody, and a lot of people benefit here. I have family living abroad. I know what it is that they contribute to the economy. But the truth is, their power or their bargaining power to make sure that they get at least a piece of land is almost nil. It's who you know, and some of them have to go by who you know and who you're connected to. And there are some of them who get thrown in every election by certain ministers to vote. But that's a select few. They can't fly in everyone. And it's not everyone who has that connection. And it so happened that my client doesn't have that connection. The good thing she has a brother here in Belize that is willing to keep on fighting for her. We would have wanted her to save herself and fight in person, but then she would lose her job. And if she loses her job, then she won't have the money to finish pay off her loan and to build her house. But the thing is, that is not being given consideration. They were hoping that, knowing that she lives abroad, that once they do this, by the time she finds out, it's a done deal, then she would have gone to land department and cried over it, and they would have said, oh, well, we will see what you can, we can do for you. And because so where does it stand now? Where, where does it stand now? I mean, what, 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 what? When you come, they push you around and frustrate you that you don't get anything. Where we stand right now is, um, thank God, we have an injunction. We had to go to court. And we got an injunction, and the court has injuncted the government from they're telling the government you cannot publish it in the Gazette to make it final. There's a 28-day stay on it, and we have to file a claim against the government. No, that's one. Two, the injunction also says um, the Minister of Lands, Natural Resources, anyone, they cannot pass title or interest to any other person while this injunction is on place. And the third thing the injunction of the court says is that you cannot continue construction on that property. So it, it, it was a good thing that we got the injunction, but how many Belizeans living abroad would know what they can do? How many of them would know that go to an attorney and they, there's this fast action you can do? And unfortunately, sometimes even the locals go to an attorney and they sit a long time on their case. And then people are very fearful of going to get legal advice because they believe it's very expensive. And in some instances, you can take it costly, but it's not as excessive as what you would lose out when you don't get your land. So that's where we are with it. I'm preparing now to um, file my claim in the court. And the court will have to decide. But in the meantime, as the ministry tries to defend their position, my client has given instruction and his brother has been authorized to speak on her behalf to be very vocal to expose what is going on. And the uh, press release from the Ministry of Natural Resources is very telling because the press release from the Ministry of Natural Resources trying to defend their illegal action only sinks them more because they contradict their attorney. So someone has to be lying. Either the letter the attorney sent out is a lie or the press release the, the Commission of Land sent out is a lie. But the two of them cannot be true. So that's where we are with that situation. It's a so, very sad so, situation. And the other thing, so just, I, yeah. So seriously, so so based on what based on what you've, uh, um, I mean, my listeners, you know, I'm, I'm, my name is Hubert Pipersberg, and I'm speaking to uh, Miss Audrey Matura Shepherd, and uh, she is an activist and a and a Qatarian believes who is 
investigating and trying to represent individuals who have been allegedly been robbed of their lands illegally. So uh, we're discussing a particular case that involved a parcel of land that was in the Belama area that was allegedly taken away or ill-gotten by received by ill-begotten means, and so she is trying to um, contest that in the, in the Belizean court. And it's important for the, the American the Belizean diaspora public to know that look, a lot of us and many of us are in that situation where, you know, you have property line or whatever in Belize, and these things occur routinely. It's not the first time. It's not This this goes all the way back. So it's not like you, you know, again, like I said, it's not like we this is only a, a recent case, but I'm sure that we can, if we dig deeper, and there's a lot of horror stories out there where this this is routine and it occurs. But let me ask you this: what what, what is the, com- the complicity of the uh, of the individual, the the, the 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 public official in this? Is it did she know about it? Was you know was she aware? I mean, what was her complicity in all this? In whom? Which which one of them? And um, you know the the, the, the individual in whose name? Yeah, the, the CEO of the land department. What's her complicity in all this? I mean, did she was she aware? I mean, is this deliberately that you know? I mean. Is it some sort of coincidence? Or what, 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 what we were told at the land department by one of their very own employees is that it was done by her instruction. And that that's not the only land they were looking at. What happens in the area, it so happened that this land I'm talking about is right in my neighborhood. As a matter of fact, right across the street from where I'm at. And there are a few lots that are not developed yet. And it so happened that those few that are not yet developed are owned by Belizean Americans who are still hoping to come home and retire, so they're holding on to their land. One or two of them were smart enough. I don't know how they did it, but they got it into title. And so because they have it into title, it's not easy to take away. But those who have leased, they're being taken away. My understanding is that there was an organized move wherein they went into various development areas, like in Belama, and looked for land to see who had leased, tracked down who were the owners, knew who were those available quickly that could have responded and fought it, and knew who those weren't, who weren't around to do it. My client happens to be one that is not around, but it's only by stroke of sheer divine intervention that she was in country when all the, the fast-tracking began. Mm-hmm. Another thing Belizean Americans didn't about me to be conscientious of and be very wary of is that even when you have title, what has happened, government would we issue a new title to someone else of your very own land, you know. Mm-hmm. But by the time you come to fight it, you lose your title because the way the law is designed is that if an innocent third party gets their title, they're entitled to the land and government will compensate you in return. They'll either give you cash or give you land somewhere else and it's usually swamped. So that's another area of concern. The reason this one is so different is that it is very hard for Ms. Maud Williams and Mr. Mervyn Castillo, the mother and the son of the CEO himself, or to say, I mean herself, to say that they didn't know who owned it. And it's very difficult for the CEO to say, oh, I didn't know my mother and my, my son were, were getting land. <laughs> it is like, convince that, let a fool believe that. Convince someone else. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, it was interesting that she resigned on November 28th, officially from the Ministry of Land to become standard bearer in Belize Rural Central. She's going to be the standard, she's uh, well, competing with Hutchinson and I don't know who all the other candidates to become standard bearer so that she then becomes the representative in that area for the United Democratic Party. And she made sure that these things happened before she left. 
and I want them to convince me otherwise. Show me otherwise. Because the way the system works is the minister has to sign off on these things. A lot of it is through the recommendation of the um, Commission of Land. But the person who, has to, who is the in-between between the commissioner and the minister is the CEO. They can't even... They, 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 the press release from the Ministry of Land says that it was a random selection. But please show me the name of all the other applicants for that land and how you coincidentally ended up giving it to the mother of the CEO and her son. Just show me. Since you want to convince me it's a random selection, show so me. So you were convinced. And you were convinced beyond the least of doubt. That you're convinced beyond the least of doubt that there is an appearance of impropriety, at least, you know, and it's not by intent, by you know, by you know, other means. But let me ask you, what, 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 what exactly is going on in that land department? What is it that we could do to, to, to ensure that not just Belizeans, uh, you know, that at home can can hold on to their land or not take, have it taken away, or at least can procure a piece of land that they can call their own. What, 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 what needs to be done? The, the Prime Minister, in, 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 when he was in Los Angeles uh, at the town hall meeting, said that the Lions Department is a hotbed of corruption. His words. You know, what can be done to, um, you know, to, 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 that, to that department, in your opinion? Let me tell you, the Prime Minister was so right. It is a hotbed of corruption. If you all think that what you're seeing with the passport scandal and the visas is, that, is corruption? Imagine land department ten times that magnitude. What you have to understand is an ingrained culture of different levels in the land department. That when the ministers are not doing it, it's the CEO doing it, it's the land commissioner doing it, it's different um, registrar, different a different level middle management, and right down to the smallest man in there. Let me tell you how bad it is. I had a lady come to complain to me that she needed to get a paperwork done at the land department. And the young man told her, hey, Miss, you know, you have to run something. She told me to run something. He said, yes, if you want make me expedite your stuff, you have to give me some money. She said, really? So where is the law? What is the amount? And she knew it was a bribe, a shakedown she was getting you know, from a really junior hmm. officer who just had to photocopy something for her. So she said she went to the uh, office of a senior person and said, can you tell me? where I should pay this money that this young man is asking me for so that I get my copies. And the senior officer says, no, 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 there's, there's no such thing. Let me tell you, I've been at the land department. When you hear the complaints of people in line, if you want your files, you could keep going. And miss, we're not finding your files. Miss, you know, they are. Miss, this, no, they are. But you present them a $50, $100 in an envelope, and suddenly everything you can't find appears. And while it may not be everybody there, it is the majority. So the land department, what needs to be done? I think the top needs to lead by example. Let's not forget what has happened, you know. You have to remember all the different land scandals that have happened. Just recently, Mr. Lennox Garbutt in Corozal, when he found out his lease was cancelled, who had it? The minister's sister. And the register says it there that the minister, Pablo Marin, minister of health, recommended that they take away the land for his sister to get. Mm-hmm. That record there, that's not being slandered, no libelous. It's in the record, you can find it. Let's not forget that the other day too, there was prime property in Placentia and that the residents of Placentia wanted for a small reserve to boost their tourism. And who ended up owning it? The daughter-in-law of the minister, Gaspar Vega. And then he turns around and says, oh, people, well, we are not normal people. And what happened? The clamoring was so much that the government had, had to give it back to the, the, the people. 
Now, we never knew what that young lady paid for that title, but we knew that she got compensated by the government, and the government refused to tell us how much money she got in compensation for that island that she should have never gotten. So if we lose either way. We lose either that we get, we get back the land and they have to compensate the other party, and that's an opportunity to give a bloated compensation, or we lose we're in, the person stays with it, and you have to be stuck with a smaller compensation and running after them for something you never get. There are people who... I, I have a, a land matter for my family, and after 10 years, we still can't be told where the new land will be for the title, it's title land that they took away. They just gave it to someone else, and they claim it's an innocent third party. could never be an innocent third party. That was our neighbor. He knew that that was our land. So okay. this is not happening only now under this government. It gets worse each time, and none of them want to change it because all of them have benefited from it. And I think people need to demand more. The law needs to change where in an innocent third party keeps the land. That, the law has to change that that so-called innocent third party can prove that he or she has done their due diligence to inquire who was the former owner, has gone and, in, and met with the former owner or written them and, and explained to them what their interest is. Okay. And then after you've done that and decide that you're rightfully entitled, then you can say an innocent third party. Because if, if that law would be in place, my client... Ms. Maud Williams and her grandson would have had to find my client and be satisfied that my client did get notice that her lease was being taken away. But what they did, they're part of the collusion. I live right across from, and I could see and can tell you, they started construction on that land from November. They started to put things and do this. As a matter of fact, there was a street project. We just paved that street. And all the excess dirt that was was uh, removed from the street, was put in that land to help fill it. That is not okay. the norm. You don't All right, take, uh, and they, when these contractors me, do this work, they have let to account for every grain of time. Let me just uh, tell the people, you're listening to uh, Hubert Piper's Berg. I have as my guest Miss um, Audrey Matura Shepard, who is an attorney in Belize, um, an activist in Belize, who, you know, she's on life, um, and... I, you know, I, the reason why I'm, I, I focus on the, this land issue because land, believe it or not, people might say, oh, why, you know, why are we focusing on land? Land is a very important. We need some serious, serious agrarian land reform in Belize. Less than 7% own more than 95% of the land. So if you think that this issue is not, doesn't have anything to do with you, then that's, that's where you're wrong. Because anyone who cannot have land that they can call their own or a place that they can call their own, you, you are a refugee in your own country. So land, my friends, is a very very important thing. Ask Big Gear how you know when the, when when the Mennonites came, they were giving they were giving logistical support and monies to to develop their their thing. When the Salvadorians came, they were the UN the United Nations gave all x amount of money. The only one who is struggling consistently is the Belizean by birthright to get land. So if anybody out there is under any misconception that this land issue is not important, then again I have a bridge that I want to tell you right there in Belize City. So that's why we focus in the land because Belize is in need of serious agrarian land reform. We have some of the most archaic colonial era laws that, that are on the books right now that allow these neocolonialists to do what they're doing and manipulate the average uh, Belizean and take away land and don't give him land or whatever. If you think I'm joking, talk to the people at Big Air. They'll tell you the struggle that they want to get just to get a little piece of, a couple of acres of land out there by the Motorama area. So, again, my friends, land in any country. That's why the Guatemalans keep encroaching on, in, 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 encroaching on our territory. That's why they want to come to Belize because they, they don't have the opportunity to own land or to even to even have title for land, but in Belize you can do it. So 
Again, my listeners, land, L-A-N-D, is the bedrock of your birthright. It's the bedrock of your of who you are as a person. If you don't own land, then guess what? You know what? You are a non-entity. You don't have no say in your country. So don't tell me that you know um, you know that 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 that, that you know that, that land is not important. And I the reason why I brought Miss Shepard on is because I want her to focus on how the inherent corruption in our government is continue in that land department continue to 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 deny average Bolivians the opportunity to own a piece of the rock, a piece of their birthright, okay? But we're going to move on to other issues because I don't want to it's just... Worse, you know. It's worse than that. Um, you know, you have to understand it's worse than that. Let me tell you, let me focus on Bilama. Uh, in Bilama, it was supposed to be a development for Belizean Americans to come home, right? And so they did phase one, they did phase two, they did phase three and phase four. Let me tell you who owns phase three and phase four. Majority of them are immigrants, Central American immigrants, whom the different political parties quickly gave nationality and citizenship for them to get their vote and quickly gave them land. Those people just went back there and squatted it. If, you would, if I could have taken a picture to post for you all to see the conditions under which they live, but they own the land. You go and go on the south side, just for comparison, and ask how many people on the south side own their land. They can't get their land paper, but ask how come those immigrants got their land. They got their land because in return for vote. So people in the diaspora should be concerned. Let me tell you why you should be concerned. You were right when you said they're refugees in their, own, in their own land, but they're worse than refugees because these immigrants are still considered by some entities as refugees because I know the Canadian, they're Canadian NGOs and different um, groups that come and give them money and all kind of special training so that they can help themselves and lobby for them to get land and stuff like that. The Belizean American living abroad can't come to Belize and get that special treatment. And they can't be guaranteed land. So you have to understand the currency of land when it comes to election. So here you have immigrants who just popped across the border, you know, did not meet the five-year limit to get nationality. Some of them are Guatemalans. They're not even entitled to, um, to nationality without denouncing their own. And yet... Not only do they get nationality, passport, and land, but they determine the outcome of an election. And who are they? They're not the people making the highest income that are paying income tax, so that that taxpayer money goes into the system and that, that money then becomes part of the treasury and so helps with education and, and medication and medical. They're the ones that you know that they will Believe the system, you know, they, all their children will get free education. All of them will go to the health centers. They won't pay the private doctors and insurance. But us who are working and paying taxes every day get it. Now, compared to the people in the diaspora who keep sending money home, who have an economic investment in this country, but have not a say, you can't even swing a vote. And when it comes election time, admit it to yourself. Both parties go to you for election campaign funding. But none of them have given you any voting right or any say as to what goes on in this country, but they want your money. And then who has the power to tilt the vote? And who gets the land? So there's a dire need for a true conversation to know where everybody fits. Now, at the, well, I know how people could be intentionally rude and want to misrepresent what I say. I am not saying that we can get rid of the immigrants. No, we've made them nationals. We've given them land. But we need to work in a system where that has to stop. We have to stop selling 
our vote for Lan. We have to stop just bringing every time the Kanhari. We're not even bringing people highly educated to, to contribute to the product, productive sector, you know. Mm-hmm. We're bringing, yes, the poorest of the poor. And they don't come and produce the, private, the, 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 the productive sector. When they have children and the children go through the system, eventually some of their children now become more educated and some of them do integrate into the community and can, and can contribute. But in the meantime, we carry the burden. We carry that burden. And nobody wants to discuss it because come election in, election out. Previously, honestly, it was only the PUP who used to do that, you know. And I remember being a member of the United Democratic Party and having that discussion and where my colleagues said, outside, we will never win election if we are not prepared to register these people and do what the PUP does. And I voted against that. I said, no, no, we cannot be the very thing we denounce. And lo and behold, who will forget? I think it was 18 February 2013, no, 2012, just before election. I remember Elvin Penner, I could go back and find the, the news clip for you right now, boasting that he is registering hundreds and hundreds of immigrants, helping them getting their nationality paper. And so Jesus is asking him, so well, do you expect vote. them to vote for you? Mm. And yes, go and find it. It's right there online. Post it in your page so that people don't forget. Mm-hmm. That is what happens. It was a blatant thing. And there's another spin to that, you know. A lot of them come, especially from Honduras and El Salvador, running from their gangs, MS-13. We don't even vet these people, you know, they can't even speak English. They don't even know our national anthem. They can't even say a note of allegiance in our language. We don't even, we, we ask them for a police record, but what police record do we get in Belize? But they weren't living in Belize. Why don't we get a police record of where they're from? Then you'd be surprised how many of these gangsters you're weeding out when you hear some heinous crimes in this country. You, you're not figuring out that you're importing now a level of criminality that we don't have yet. So Let's focus on that for a second. Let's focus on that for a second. But there's more to this issue Let's focus on that for a second, though. I know, but let's, let's focus on that point there for a second. You were saying, yes. you're saying then that, that there's a correlation between these uh, immigrants just coming in blatantly and the criminals and, and the crime situation in, in Belize. There's a direct correlation there whereby, you know, these, these criminals come in, in, in some cases undocumented, in some cases documented, but nobody is really checking up to see the level of criminality or what they have, you know, what they're running from or whatever. And that has a lot, that's, that, well, not has a lot, but it's impacting the crime situation in Belize. Is, is that what you're arguing here? Yes. And, and not so much Belize city, but along the border countries, the border, I mean, borderline territories. Mm-hmm. It happens when you hear some of those um, home invasions and robberies and so Those were coming from people from across the border. You can't even find those people here. When you go to the, when you hear about the Chikibul, the whole issue that um, Friends of, of Belize Conservation Development, that NGO was dealing with, when you see some of the pictures they bring out, you see on the trees marked MS-13, and in Spanish they would say, we were here, and they leave threats there. I'm telling you, I've seen those pictures. So don't believe that there's not another aspect to it. There's the whole criminal aspect. And why we don't bet, let me tell you when election time comes, the desperation, the desperation of politicians. And let me tell you, when you're in opposition, they're complaining, you know. Any one of them in opposition complain. So the PUP complain, they say, what should the UDP? Then they register all the immigrants. 
And when the UDP is in opposition, they say, watch how the PUP, they register all the immigrants, but none of them do anything to change it. Absolutely none. And they will never do any because they have figured out that the formula to ensure that they stay in power is to keep on just registering more of these people. Those people then feel indebted to you. You make sure that now these people are coming from worse conditions than we have, you know. So imagine being able to get your documents so quick, get a piece of land, being given cash on election day. Man, they don't even realize the culture we've developed in this country. And nobody wants to stop it. It's very unfortunate, but none of the two major political parties want to stop it. They point finger at each other, but they're equally guilty. They're equally guilty. I and then bring it back to what you all in the diaspora go through. When election comes, that is what you all are financing. The money you're sending is financing that kind of attitude. Have they ever negotiated with you all to give you more power, more say, more involvement in the country? The answer is simply no. It's not in their uh, interest. And this is my theory now. You have to hear my theory why I say it will not happen. And I hope it does happen, but this is my theory. Hold that thought for a second. That's a, I, want, I definitely want to hear it, but I, when, before you present your theory, I want you to tie in because, see, look, it seems to me, I mean, in listening to you, I am not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's incredible to, to think that they actually have this, you know, it's like a conspiratory thing where they actually are bringing in, you know, uh, non-Belizeans to, 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 to buy an election or to, 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 to do well in elections, the politicians, that is. Is this something that's systematic? Because what about the Sixth Amendment? Does it go all the way back to the Sixth Amendment and those amendments that they were trying to push from the beginning, you know, to, to try to make the system like more, more, more of an authoritarian thing where people can't, where, where one can't uh, say anything or, or can't do anything legally or anything? Is there anything legally that can be done? Because, you know, starting with all these amendments that they try to ru- rush through or try to push down our throat, uh, could you tie a theory into that for us, please? Well, let me tell you. One of the things I was very much concerned about as a Belizean, and a Belizean who planned to spend, spend the rest of my life here, and as an attorney, was that all these constitutional amendments were leading to me to a bigger picture. It, they weren't happening in vacuum because I kept thinking, but why? I, I couldn't figure out why would you want to make some of those constitutional amendments? Why would you want to pass Amendment 6 where you're saying that um, if oil is found under your land, you cannot approach the court and ask the court to intervene as to what you should get. That's so unconstitutional. And I couldn't understand why. They wanted to make that but legal. Course, whereby, whereby if you find something under the land, like any, any minerals or anything, of work, you, the landowner, have no right to go you to, have no to right. dispute what you should get. Right, mm-hmm. they're saying that not even, you, can't, you can't go to the court and dispute whether you should get something or the amount. You just have to accept what is given to you. And that was challenged. That was challenged by Barry Bowen and by the Landowners Association, and they won that case. But what was at the, the bottom of it? I said I couldn't figure out. But at that time, I hadn't known yet about all the oil contracts. I did not know the stage was being set for all these um, oil companies. Where we, at that point, we didn't know that all these contracts even existed. We ha- had not a clue as a nation collectively of what was going on. A few people knew. You mean who had these contracts? Yeah, so you mean key people had contracts with the oil companies or is, uh, for their land? Is that, what, is that what was going on? The government on? had contracts. The government had oil contracts with the oil companies, hmm. and it was interestingly why I never thought so sinister was because it wasn't signed by this government. It was signed by the previous government, but mm-hmm. yet this government defended it. 
Lo and behold, we, we find out more about it. We find out that they actually fight to defend those contracts, despite the Prime Minister going public and saying to us that his hands are tied because it is legal, and if, if it is legal, there's nothing he can do. And um, us thinking that, well, um, poor Prime Minister, he doesn't even know the content and the magnitude of these contracts. We gave him the benefit of the doubt. Then we find out, oh, it's not that he doesn't know. Because when, when in April of, this year, of 2013, April 16, 2013, when the court ruled that those contracts were unlawful, null, and void, and finally the Prime Minister said, well, my hands are not tied anymore, the oil contracts, now I can go after the oil companies because the court has said it's null and void. They are not valid. Because he used to say, well, as long as they are valid contracts, he can't do anything about it. Here he gets an escape, and what he turns around and says, he defends the oil companies. And not he only chose, that he tells he the big business over, over the integrity of the nation, basically. He's, yeah. He's cast his lot with U.S. capital and others. Yeah. By his okay, own words, everything this. I am telling you is reported. His words were simply that, well, we leave it to the oil companies to decide whether they'll obey the court ruling or not. And not only that, they turn around and go and attack us at court, they appeal the decision, and then they fight. The oil company writes out, sends out a proceeds and says that they call on government and they send letters to the government telling them, you must go now and fight for this injunction to be removed. I can, I can send you copies of all these letters where the oil company is ordering the, the government what to do and the government obeys. The government goes to court to fight for the oil companies. So let yeah. me give you an example. Treaty, for example, was one of the companies under Princess Petroleum that they made sure they defended. Treaty went to, um, to Kaupen area, told the villagers there, because they couldn't do anything if the villagers didn't assist or agree. Told the villagers, no man, we will give you electricity, we will help you get running water, we will improve your schools, promise all kind of things. Had the poor people sign an agreement. And they told them in the agreement, whether we find oil or not, we are giving you these things. Well, let me tell you, just November of this year, of last year, those people picked up all their machinery and left. And that was it. Goodbye. The people never got what they were promised. And I keep telling this nation, you will never get what was promised because all that you're entitled to is what is in the contract. So talking about the contract now, I'll give you an example. Providence, Providence Energy is an oil company that wants to drill in the Port Honduras Marine Reserve, one of the richest areas of all marine waters. It's the area that Guatemala is fighting for in the Sapadilla Range area, Port Honduras. They entered into a contract with the PUP. The PUP minister signed that contract. Under that contract, the PUP was saying that if you all find oil, you will give the government, and, there, and, and there's profit, we get 15%, and you all get the rest, the 85. Let me tell you, in 2009, Minister Gaspar Vega renewed that same contract, but amended the terms, and you know what he did? He accepted less. In it, he said, if you all find oil, the government will be happy with only 7.5%. You keep the rest. Not only that, under the previous contract with the PUP, had they ever reached over 30,000 barrels, we, the people, would have gotten 65%. Under the UDP, the amended contract, if they ever find oil, we, the people, will, the most we can ever expect to get is 25%. But here's no, the thing, if you Audrey. believe there's oil in that area. I am telling you, I can send you the written proof no, of I, these no, things. I, here's, my issue, here's my beef with it, Audrey. 
I'm thinking to myself that okay, this 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 issue of you know these are companies coming into Belize and exploiting and you know the Belize, you know the, the the poor working class majority and you know it's beyond just PUP UDP because you know, yes they're they're you know they're the one that, 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 that but it seems to me it's a, it's a more sinister and a more prevalent thing because let's 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 focus on on, on say like for example like that you know if you are you you are your entity coming to Belize an oil company and you know you want to search for oil. The fact that you know the way how they treated the Mayas, you know, and we, we and we just sit back and say, okay, well, it's only a Maya thing. When it should have been a national thing. This is a concern that it concern a national economic security. You know, we're not just talking in a vacuum of what all companies coming here and digging for oil and then finding it and then these people giving them all kind of ridiculous conditions and the Belizean people in the interim unemployment. You know, it's double digit inflation. It, you know, we need. The, here's my question: Why is it that this culture of 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 just allowing these 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 companies to just come in and just ride over the Belizean people and you know they, and no one is, is at the gate trying to stop them. No, we don't have anybody who's protecting our interests. Why is this allowed to happen? Why why is it that we just sit back idly and just essentially agree with everything that you know that these elected representatives tell us without even looking deeper into why these things are occurring? Well, I can only speculate because I don't have the proof. But I once asked when the Chalila Dam debate came up, why would a government official sign away our rights to our company? Why would you sign it away? And, Mike, I, and I had to ask this politician. I remember I interviewed Ralph and asked him, did he receive a bribe? I said, because no one would sign over something that is detrimental to their country unless there's some personal gain. It didn't make sense. The man almost slapped me because I asked the question. And the same thing I say with the oil companies. Why would Minister Vega change the contract to worse terms? So you already said the PUP, they're corrupt. We vilified them. They did a lot of bad things. So here is a PUP, terrible contract they signed. In 2007, they signed that contract. You get in power in 2009. You're in power you can renegotiate that contract to do better and you sign off on worse terms. I have to ask, so what was the motivation? Why would you do it? So I would ask him the same, country, same, same question. Did you get a bribe? What motivates you to take less for your country when you should be fighting for more? What motivates you when you already said that the previous ones were bad, but yet you create a worse contract first? I don't, I don't have proof of what motivates them but it leaves a lot of questions because why would anyone do such a thing then what is the other side of the answer the other half is the fact that when our leaders do those things we the people feel helpless and cannot do anything to bring them to justice why because intentionally our laws are designed that it will say a minister shouldn't do this a minister shouldn't do that whatever but the law is lacking of what we call a penal code where it says we're in you do so so and so if convicted blah 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 there's not that part so there's just we have only legislation that makes a lot of prohibitions but does not institute any penalty mm-hmm. and that is bad that Maybe is bad they don't want to change it so so they try to arrest and charge Said Musa the other day under the criminal code with theft but no, we should have had a legislation under the financial act. There should have been a provision that said wherever a, a prime minister or any minister of government diverts funds from one 
specified purpose without taking it before the National Assembly. That is an offense, and this is the offense. And so there's no such thing in the law, so he could never be convicted. And the PUP did all these things, they said. But the UDP hasn't amended that law. The UDP has not so not amended serious, not the law. So no, they don't about want to just, amend the law. They just pay lip service to it, but they're not so serious about corruption. Let me tell you why evil prevails in this country. Because right-thinking Belizeans will attack each other, will fight with each other on their differences, but they will not stand up together on what they don't have differences on. So you may not agree with me on a lot of things, but would you stand with me on the things that you agree with me on? And one of the Indeed. things I would hope Belizeans would agree on is that the time has come where we have to demand that they change these laws to make it a criminal offense for ministers to do these things. Elvin Penner has not been convicted yet. Where is the provision that if a minister abuses his office and uses authority to expedite for the benefit of someone else, something like that, it is an offense? If you will not find it in the criminal code, they will not put it in the laws because they know they each do it. They know they do it. But we believe then we sit back here and say nothing. So I want to bring in something else. I want you to understand why people in the diaspora will never get the vote that they want or will never have the say. Because it is easier for a politician to sway the immigrants who come here wanting and dependent on them and to sway the poor Belizeans who they have kept dependent, to sway them for a vote. But now when you're talking about a diaspora community, you're talking about a more enlightened community who has seen a different world and are accustomed to being in a country that demands more transparency and accountability, although it is not perfect. So would you give vote to that that set of people that you don't know and you have nothing to control them by, where they will vote their conscience and, and because they have been exposed will demand more? Hell no. Any politician in, in the situation we are right now, think about it. If you are one of these politicians, why would I give vote to people in the diaspora who I know now have been exposed to a different life and would make demands and would want to see Belize become as good as the country where they are living in. Okay, Audrey, I wouldn't take the chance and give them the vote. Because that vote could have number the immigrants I can control here. Around this, that same point there, okay, coming back to the Constitution, there is particularly Section 121 of the Constitution, you know, that um, where it says a person whom, I'm reading from it here because I'm looking at it here, the, the person to whom this section applies shall conduct themselves in such ways as to place themselves in position in, in position in which they have or could have a conflict of interest. So basically it's saying that, you know, that, that, that elected representatives of public officials have a fiduciary responsibility here to, to, um, to abide by a certain rule of conduct. That's right in the Constitution. Why is it that, you know, that's not enforced? You said because, you know, why is it it's that... It's in the know, Constitution, but you read the Constitution doesn't give penal clauses. It's in the, you see, you have to understand the Constitution sets a framework about certain things, and you can see constitutional redress for all the areas with rights. This area, the area that deals with rights, Section 2 down to, I think, Section 21, that deals with rights, you can bring a constitutional motion to enforce your rights. But in the other areas as to how they elect this one and appoint that one and so, there are certain things that you can bring before the law to get done. And although that segment of the Constitution says that you should perform in such a way, you need to then create the legislation that will make sure that the spirit of that section is then embodied in a law that then makes it that wherein there is no compliance, it becomes criminal. We never did the other step. So we have this laudable idea in our constitution, but not easily enforceable because what section of the law will we use to say, okay, they did not act with integrity? Mm -hmm. 
There's no, we can only get a declaration, a constitutional order, a declaration saying that There's they did not have integrity, but what? But where, but where is the penalty? Where is the penalty? You see, let me tell you one of the scary things about Belize. We intentionally don't teach our people our constitution, you know, because had our people from, from preschool learned the constitution, at least learned what the word constitution means, and throughout their primary school years learned the content of that constitution, half of the shit that any government gets away with right now, they would not get away with. I could speak to big educated Belizeans right now and they can't tell me what's in the constitution. The only reason the constitution became a big topic the other day and we people were forced to learn a lot was when all these amendments came up were being attempted. So I could say that is the good side about it because let me tell you, I remember my colleague Antoinette Moore and myself traveling all over this country, staying out of our own pockets, to go to our kind of presentation to explain to the people why we were fighting the Sixth Amendment, the Seventh Amendment, the Eighth Amendment, and the Ninth Amendment. Because in the eyes of the people, they couldn't understand what was going on. They could not, and I can't blame them. I cannot knock them down because they, they were ignorant as to what was the magnitude of what they were dealing with. And with all of that, has there been a revamp? of our curriculum to make sure our people understand what is the, the Constitution, what is contained. No, it is not in the interest of our politicians to keep our people enlightened. You see, an enlightened population will make an enlightened decision. They will not just vote blue and red, you know, and they will make demands on their area representative to vote according to what they want. So now bring it back to one of your concerns. If you bring in a diaspora to be a voting bloc, do you think you can manipulate them and control them the way you are controlling the majority here who don't know better? To me, the simple answer is no. It is no. So would you take that chance? You would not. So I think people in the diaspora need to tell them, well, sorry, no, no campaign finances. You can't give us some say in the development of our country. We can't give you our money. We cannot. Watch where every time they're raising funds where they go, and all the standing, and the mister, and the missus, and minister this, and minister that. Uh-huh. Have you all demanded any rights to have a say? No, they won't give you it. So I hope people are not disappointed, but I'm giving you my frank opinion. I no, am no. telling you from I my little perch are... where I'm looking on, bullseye, as a person who has been in public life, as a person, from I'm 19, I'm in a very public career. I have traveled this entire country. I've met people in all, all walks of life. I've been in a political party. I've fought against a political party. The reason I opted not to be in politics is because I can't deal with that set of corruption. None of them is better than the other, you know. It's not as if though you have a choice. You always have to be deciding between the better of two evils. We need to stop that. We can't keep on deciding between the better of two evils. Just the other day, under the PUP, the disappointment and the things we found out, and here we thought, okay, the UDP coming with change. We can't even get our prime minister to feel that he has to deal with penury. Look what they just did with the recall signatures. They passed yeah. a law that says we can send in so much signatures, bring in a petition, and then they'll be forced to have a recall election. Explaining up more that thing with the with the penner, um, you know, with the election of the Muslim commission and the whole thing of penner is just walking around with a big smile on his face. It's it's it, it's it's insulting to me. As a, a big smile on his face, money from taxpayers. Let me tell you. I keep telling people, if you go to Channel 7 website and their archives of January 18, 2012, and you will see a story named, Honorable Penner says he's paying half for the 100 new citizens. I mean, I keep telling people, the minute I saw that story, I just knew that that was dangerous. The Prime Minister saw the story too, but what he says, that Penner 
and begged him to make him responsible for immigration. No, man, you don't see this man have a problem with doing the right thing because what he says in this interview, and I have the story right in front of me, he says, he says, I've been working almost a week, day and night, pretty much day and night. I hope I don't fall down before Friday because Friday is the deadline for registration for the tongue board elections, as you all know. So here he goes now, and he says, so we have to make sure that we get all those who can register for the tongue board in by Friday. So that's going to be another rush on Friday to get everybody in on time. We have a lot of people in our area who have had residency for many years and who have children up to 20 years born here in Belize and who nobody took the time out to help them to register for their nationality. That's what he says. Who went and vet the, the things to see what, what about their people? Who went to bet that indeed these people qualified? Let me tell you, for $25, within a minute you could have gotten a police record to get these people their nationality. It goes a step further. He says, um, they asked him, so he says, I, am, I have about 100 applications home and I personally felt that some of them didn't qualify, so he decides who qualifies or not. But for the ones then that he believes qualify, he says, that I am bringing them in. And he told the news reporters, I am paying half of the money for them to be registered. He says, so he says, projection close to 100, around 100, he says. Um, he says, he is paying them. And so Jules asked him, so is it costing you? Each head is $300. And he says, yes, I'm trying to work with them. I've always committed myself from day one that when I got into politics that anybody who applied for their nationality and they qualified, I would pay half of the cost for them. So I am telling them that no, that no as well. I pay the half of the cost of nationality. So he's paying $150 for each person now for 100 people, right? Okay. And then so they tell him, but, but we, we um, let me finish reading. So of course, we do the police record on our own. So there is a cost, that's $25 each. But it's, of course, to, to fall. There's a political reason behind it. This is Penner saying there's a political reason behind it. We want to get out voters, our voters in. I won't deny that, that any at all. I would wish that every politician in the country would do that because this really proves that you are pushing and going the extra mile for you to win your division. So he's proud that he's paying for people to get their nationality so that then these people vote for, for him. So Jules, as usual, um, challenges him and tells him, well, you know, are you, what reason are you doing this for? I mean, what do you expect? He says, um, I don't expect these people to turn their backs on me. So, well, I believe that if it's I'm working day and night for them and they're out here seeing it, I don't think they would turn their backs on me. Uh-huh. That's what he told the news reporter. So he's telling you, I am paying them, but I don't expect them not to vote for me, and those people feel indebted. Now, our representation of People's Act says that if you give anybody anything worth over more than $20, that's called an election bribe. He's telling you, I'm paying each one of them 150 for their, to help them to get their nationality. And we didn't see a problem with that. Nobody yeah. wanted to investigate that. Well, we have and then we turned around and asked hey, Audrey, when he, he does what he has done. We have less than eight minutes remaining. So I want to touch on something, very, you know, I mean, I mean, try to, um, I mean, regarding third parties, because there's a lot of people who, you know, who have said that third parties and, you know, what's, what's, what, what could be the role of third party or third, or third alternative to, uh, or third alternative to, to, to this, you know. And we don't have a lot of time. We only have like, like maybe seven minutes or so. 
Could you touch on that a bit, a bit you know, in your, thing, in your opinion with, with respect well, to third parties and alternatives? You know, nothing is impossible, but it will be a challenge because any third party, and there are few of them who are trying to develop, they're working against an ingrained culture and machinery. You're not only working against the political parties that are established, you're working against a culture where people will not come out and vote unless you pay them. It's the reality. If you don't pay these people and you don't have anything to offer, even the immigrants have learned it. You should see around election time how much of them bring their family from the border. And we get our own Belizean JPs to testify that, oh, yes, they've been living here more than five years. Oh, yes, I know them for so long. Lies, lies, lies. Our own people are part of the problem. So a third party is working against that. And I'm being very honest when I tell you, I can't see a third party winning an election on the basis of fighting corruption. Because it's the whole country will be fighting. I'm telling you, people in Belize have become so ingrained in this conduct where you get by with who you know that they don't even recognize it's corruption. It has become a way of life. When you can't get people to come out on their own strength to, to protest, Unless, when, when there's little protests, I mean, the political parties, you should see all the T-shirts they give the people and they pay them 50 to $100 a day. Who can win you unless you have that kind of money? Then if you do the same thing, then you're no different than the two established parties. So you're fighting against an entire culture. Let me tell you, one of my proudest moments to be a Belizean was when, as a member of the coalition and Oceania, we pulled off a people's referendum and we did not pay one person to come out. So I believe there's hope that there are still enough right-thinking people to come out. But are they the majority? No. I don't think they are the majority. Because our poverty line now is we have, depending on which statistics you listen to, we have between 25% to 43% below the poverty line. And I don't know which one to believe. So some are saying it's 25%, some are saying it's 43% below the poverty line. So you are saying that at least a quarter of your population is afflicted by poverty. So what you give them matters as to what, the, what is their next move. They are living day, day by day. Then, apart from that, you have over 50% of your population now is an immigrant population, whether Belizeans want to believe it or not. The Latin American immigrants are a big chunk of the, the power block now. So you have a, a, a set of people who come with a different mentality and culture. You have some of them who don't have voting rights yet, so they keep bringing in their relatives. So every election, their number increase. And now their family are already accustomed to getting land and getting nationality and getting voting rights every time a wrong election. So when they bring others to add to that family pool, what you're dealing with now is another set of people who again expect something a wrong election day, but they're smarter than the local Belizeans who only take $20, $100, or $300 to go vote. They get land. They get nationality, they get passports, and that is what they need to be able to access our free education and our healthcare system. So it is going to be monumental. To me, the diaspora can bring a balance because the diaspora have invested economically in our country. Now, I can't say outright everybody would be entitled to vote. That would have to be a whole different debate. But I believe, at minimum, we need to look at voting rights. We can't say everything you can get immediately. I know some people want to be able to run for election and blah, blah, blah. Like as right now, one of those immigrants with Belizean nationality can run for elected office in Belize. So there's an injustice. Mm -hmm. But it can't be solved immediately. You yeah. have to help bring in another voting block that hopefully is a 
far more educated population that will see beyond what you could give me. What can you bribe a person in their with that they can't get for themselves? Okay, listen, but you can use that same thing to buy by population. So then you need we to have, get that, that bigger block to come and have some voting right to tip the balance. We need okay. to change this culture. It doesn't matter what party we change. It's the, part, the problem is not the party. It's the culture. It's the okay, people. It's have, the system. I remember okay, my, my friend got yep. saying that he would never be part of this system and he's part of it now. Okay, we have less yes, than... Sorry. That's okay, that's okay, Audrey. I, I didn't mean to cut across you, but it's just that time is uh, of the essence here. So we have less than two minutes remaining. So I want you to wrap it up and just give us a parting shot, okay, um, to my listeners out there. Uh, give, give them a parting shot, you know, just kind of wrap it up. Because we, we in, less than, in less than a minute, because that's all we have. Can you give us a parting shot? Well, my parting shot would be that we have to keep on discussing and then we have to go beyond the discussion. We have to be prepared to act. I do my share, but I want other people to do their share. I do my share because I like what I do. I enjoy it. I'm prepared to do it, but I can't do it alone. I don't want people to look to me as the sole answer. I want to know that there are other right-thinking Belizeans who are prepared to stand up and act. And we have to do it. The time is now. We've got to save Belize now. Next year is too late. Every year that passes by is too late. That's why I'm saying 2014 is the year of reckoning. You gotta reckon with everyone. You gotta reckon with yourself, and you gotta reckon with your realities, and you gotta reckon with your leadership. It's the year of reckoning. That's my parting shot. All right, Dan. Well, um, I want to thank you for um, joining us, and um, you. Um, th- I'm sure it's not gonna be the first time that you know uh, you'll be invited back to this to this show. Um, to all my listeners out there, you had the pleasure and the privilege of uh, listening to um, to Miss Audrey Matura Shepherd. She, you know, she gave us, uh, wow, I mean, it was just overwhelming, the, 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 the level, you know, the amount of information that she was providing with us. And, and I hope you people were listening because everything that she said was pertinent. Everything that she said was on point. Everything that she said re- was related to what, you know, uh, the issues that we have as it relates to, to how we want to govern ourselves or our jurisprudence. I, for me, I, um, I, I, I can only say that, you know, our country, like I said, is a cesspool of corruption, nepotism, cronyism. And Ms. Matura Shepard only highlighted it and the level of, you know, where we are, you know, in terms of, you know, as, as a country, what, you know, what we need to do. It, 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 it's, it, it, it's, the task seems very overwhelming. The task itself seems like, you know, we're going to be here for a long, long time. But I believe that with, with the right attitude, with the right uh level of commitment and organization, we can get it done because at the end of the day, we're all Belizeans. And, you know, it's not a question of, you know, one over the other. The unification of the diaspora with the, with the Belizeans at home must be the utmost importance. There must be a unification. There must be a level of uh, cooperation that we can break this cycle of corruption, that we can break this level of, you know, that's this level of corruption that's that's attacking the system and destroying us as a people. I want to say, please do the right thing. God bless you, and have a happy new year.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.